0: Over the last sort of months, we did a, a couple of series. We, we did a series around church, and um, we looked at the book of Philemon, if you remember. And we looked at how churches can, can change the way... Um, Culture happens, really, or can offer a counterculture. And we looked at the way that um, an early church in the Bible effectively dealt with an everyday problem, but did it so differently that it would suggest a whole new way of thinking about the world. Then we did a longer series about uh, our own personal character. We looked at all those characteristics about the way we respond to the world around us, the way we respond to the challenges that we face. And what I wanted to do was to move us through into a new series about storms, about the way that things happen to us that are really uncomfortable but the possibilities of what either they reveal about ourselves or reveal about Jesus and the way God works in our world. It's going to be a series of about five sermons around storms, and we'll look at different storms in Scripture and about the way that God is at work in them. Years ago, many of you know this, but years ago, before we came to Salford, we lived in in Guernsey. And one of the things I, uh, Guernsey is this very beautiful little island, nine miles by three, sitting in the middle of the English Channel. And um, one of the things I used to love to do, um, <laughs> it, this may sound less dramatic now than, it's, you know, I meant it to, so, but on Guernsey there's not much to do. So I'd go in the car and sit on the headland, and you could watch storms come in. You could watch the rain come. It doesn't sound that exciting now. I've said it out loud. But I used to quite enjoy doing that. And you could sit there and just, and you'd see it just them coming from miles away. And you'd watch them come towards you. And there are some, if you use the same analogy, there are some storms that you know are coming. Your health starts to decline, and you know you're going to be in a situation that's really tricky down the line. You see a loved one in a relationship that's disintegrating and it's only, you say to yourself, it's only a matter of time. But you can see it happening. It's almost like you're sitting on the headline watching the storm come towards you. Or you know your business is declining and your job's at risk. It's only a matter of time. And you prepare yourself as much as you can, but you just don't know what sort of storm this is going to be. There are other storms that happen. A beautiful day, imagine a beautiful summer's day where the skies have been blue, the sun's been out and that night, lightning and thunder strike. Out Almost out of the blue. You wouldn't have expected it at three o'clock but by nine o'clock, you're in the middle of a raging storm. Those storms you can't prepare for. Those are the storms where you find a lump. And within two weeks, your life is different. Your wife or your husband says, I want to leave. Can't make it work anymore. It's a storm that you didn't expect. And it comes from out of the blue. Or as Sunita was talking about just minutes ago, just driving in a car, On a relatively ordinary day, and then you're in a major traffic accident. And uh, I've seen pictures of that traffic accident. And when Sunita says, it was a miracle I, I walked away, that we both walked away, it really was. You would look at that car and you would go, no one will come out of that. But they did. But the effect of that, just an ordinary day. Never expected it, but the effect lasts for ages. Storms are a metaphor for all the things that we face in life. And essentially, when they happen, what we want God to do is take them away. Stop it. And there are some times when he does. But there are many times where he doesn't. Because there are things you learn in a storm that you can't learn any other way. What I want to do is just explore some of that, and we're going to do it in different ways, and there'll be themes that recur, but we'll be looking at it from different perspectives. Others will be preaching around that theme too, and so you'll hear different aspects of it. But this morning, I want to ask a really basic question before we read the Scripture. And it's this. Can you? Oh. I'll come back to this question later, but it's a, a sort of start—a question for you to be thinking about as we you hear me speak. What have you discovered in the storms? What have you discovered? If someone to ask you, "What did you learn in the storms of life?" I wonder what you would say. And I just want that question to be sort of like echoing around your mind while I speak for a few minutes. Because we'll come back to it at the end. And there will be an opportunity for you to share uh, with us. What did you learn? Why were they important? It might even be that sometimes as counterintuitive as it might sound, we might actually even wonder, why were they precious? No one wants a storm. No one wants to go into a storm. No one wants the crash of the unexpected. But actually, there are some things that you look back on in your life and you go, if that hadn't have happened, I wouldn't have learned this. And I'm not glad I had to do that. But it was redemptive. There was something in it that it only learned that way so that's the question that I kind of want to ask you to bear in mind as you listen to me but before you listen to me let's listen to Jumi who's going to come and read a scripture of a passage uh, you know really well probably if you've been around church and it's a passage you're going to look at this morning thank you Jimmy.
1: good morning church readings from Matthew chapter 14 from verse 22 Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, water. <laughs> 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 and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Thank
0: you. Thanks very much, Jimmy. Well, As uh, as I said, this is a a story that if you've been around in church any time at all, you first heard this story in Sunday school. Uh, You first heard this story and you colored in the pictures in Sunday school and you will have read it and come back to it and heard it. It's one of those stories that's kind of like in our consciousness. But let's just, just quickly some headlines around what's going on in that story. And then three things I want you to just pause with. What's happening, and, and where Matthew places that story, is pretty much halfway through his gospel, but it's, the gospel is moving towards the, the crucifixion and the resurrection, and it's moving into a period of Jesus' life where uh, opposition is growing to him. There's, it's, it's now clear there's going to be a clash, and... If you were reading the gospel for the first time, you wouldn't necessarily know how that clash was going to resolve itself. But you know there's a clash coming. But there's also a growing clarity about who Jesus is at this point in the gospel. Before this story, the two things that have happened immediately before this story. One is that Herod has executed John the Baptist. Okay. So he's executed John the Baptist, and Jesus is tightly connected to John the Baptist. He was baptized by him, and as a reader, what you expect to happen is, well, because Herod is acting like that towards John the Baptist, who's going to be next? So there's like a momentum gathering about a clash between the political powers and Jesus. And then the second thing that happens just before this story is the feeding of the 5,000. And the feeding of the 5,000 is it's, it's interesting for all sorts of reasons. But one of the things is that in Matthew's gospel, if you've got your Bible there and around, you can just sort of flick back up to it. It says there were 5,000 men and women and children. And Matthew in the Gospel and Mark as well. Mark has them sitting down in units. Now, why would you only number the men? Now, if this is not sexism, all right? I know some of you leapt ahead to that. Ah, oh, these men—it was written by a man about. Now, why would you only count the men? You'd only count the men if you thought. It was military force. How many men have we got? Could we take them? We're in the wilderness. Could we take them on? In John's gospel, John says that Jesus disappears quickly at the end of feeding 5,000 because they want to make him king by force. So you've got the political execution. You've got a potential military uprising. And Jesus says to the disciples, get out of here. He pushes them away, dismisses them, gets them on the boat as quick as he can out of this situation. Because what the crowd want is not what Jesus wants. Jesus wants to be king, but in a different way. That's the context. What else is going on? Well, these disciples are in the boat, and they're frustrated. The thing about this is that you've got a number of the disciples all together in a boat, which is their workplace. Now, some of them weren't fishermen, but quite a few of them were. And fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, that's their their sort of like place of, That's their normal place of work. This is not somewhere exotic. This is, for them, very ordinary. And they're frustrated in their everyday place. Because the wind is, it says, buffeting them. The word for that buffeting could be translated, it's used elsewhere, as tormenting them. Any of you at work get frustrated in the everyday place, in the everyday life, and you just feel like I'm being buffeted. I can't make any headway. I'm feeling like I'm just being tormented here. Anybody ever, ever, ever feel, ever feel, feel, yeah, yeah. we got a whole number of people who say, yeah, yeah, we feel like that. That was their situation. And, uh, th- and Jesus is on the hillside. This is only the second time that in the gospel they've ever been anywhere without Jesus. Once was when they went on a mission. This is the second time they've been anywhere without Jesus. And Jesus is on a hillside praying, and the disciples are trying their hardest to get across the lake. And Jesus can see them. And so Jesus walks towards them. <laughs> Jesus can walk faster than they can row. All right. Although you might want to say, "Well, that's because the wind was at his back," but Jesus walked towards them. And in the version that Jimmy read and that I had on it, it said early in the morning. In your Bibles, it could say in the fourth watch, which is between three a.m. and six p.m. And at three a.m. around that time, they see this figure coming towards them, and the disciples say, "It's a ghost." People might ask you from time to time, do you believe in ghosts? One of those really tricky questions. Because it's kind of like, well, I'm not sure if you think a ghost is something like Scooby-Doo. I'm not sure I believe in that sort of ghost. But how many of you know at 3.30 in the morning, the fear of things that are not quite real, but look real? Any of you get that? That sense of a fear of something that looks real, even if it's not real. And if you wake up in the middle of the night with that fear of stuff going on, and then in the morning wake up and go, I wonder what I was worried about. It's kind of like in the light of day, it didn't seem so bad. In the middle of the night, these disciples said, there's something out there, and we are frightened it's going to do us ill. We're frightened it's not good news. You push me on, Mike. I seem to have frozen or something. Yeah. And Jesus walks. It's just moment, it's just worth holding that thought for a minute. Jesus walks on water. Jesus walks on water, and Peter's in the boat. And Peter asks Jesus, "If it's you, can I come to you?" And again, Mike, if you can, I don't know what's happening in the centre. And uh, Peter walks along with Jesus, and then Peter looks and sees the wind and sees what he's doing, and he collapses. His faith collapses. He doubts. Word is he has he's in two minds. And he starts to sink and Jesus lifts him out of the water. And together they get in the boat. And everyone worships. I'm left with a question. Uh, why does Matthew tell us this story. He's the only gospel writer that records this story. He's the only gospel writer that says that Peter walks on water. So why does Matthew tell us this story? Well, what we know is the principle, the moral of the story is not good Christians walk on water. That is not the moral of the story. There's no indication that it ever happens again. There's no indication that this is normative behavior. So why does Matthew include it? Well, if Matthew, and I think it is, essentially if the gospel of Matthew is a church discipleship manual, the reason Matthew writes his gospel is to a church or a group of churches say, this is what it means to follow Jesus. And that's why there's so much teaching. That's why there's so many parables. That's why there's so many actions. This is what you need to understand about Jesus in order that you might live. Then maybe we'll be able to unpack a little bit about why Matthew tells his story. What we know is, even before Matthew wrote his gospel, that the earliest Christians used to, on the catacombs where they worshipped, in the underground crypts, they would paint pictures of a boat. And the boat was a picture of the church. And what we know is that the way they looked at the sea was the sea was a place of real fear. It was unmanageable. And what we know is that Peter was like the spokesperson for the church. He was the earliest church leader. He was the spokesperson for the church. So in a story that Matthew is telling a church about what does it mean to follow Jesus, he's somehow wanting to say to a whole church, what does it mean for you when you're in a place of real frustration in an everyday place? When it feels like everything's against you. And you inevitably wonder, where's Jesus? In the story we read, Matthew recalls Jesus saying three things. The first thing is this He says to them, Take courage, it's I. Don't be afraid. The first thing Jesus says when the disciples are frightened is this. Take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. It's like, don't throw away your faith. Don't be intimidated by the ghosts that you think are out there. Don't be overwhelmed by the fears that you think are true but might not be true. Don't be frightened. It's I. And it's a really close, Jesus when he says that, it's really close to the way they used to call Yahweh in the Old Testament. I am who I am. It's really close. It's me. I'm the one, Jesus says, who walks on water. Who is not afraid, who is above the storm. Don't be afraid. Someone said, and I don't know if it's true, because I've never bothered to find out really, if I'm honest, but someone said that there's 365 times in the Bible where it says, don't be afraid. I don't know if that's true, but it sounds like a good preacher's story. It could well be true. There's certainly, it happens a lot. And the only time you tell someone, don't be afraid, is when there's every good reason for being afraid. Don't be afraid. It's almost like three short sentences. That if you, if I took to heart, would solve the problem of ghosts at 3.30 in the morning. Do you know what I mean by that? The fears that come at 3.30 in the morning. What if? What will we do? How will we manage? What will happen next? What has happened already? Three short sentences that deal with the 3.30 ghosts. The second thing that Jesus says is this. To Peter, Come. I I kind of, you know, when I get to heaven, I'd like to ask Peter, what on earth were you thinking? Why did you, I mean, genuinely, why did you want to go? I mean, some of you will have been on boats in stormy seas. You know, can you imagine the actual mechanics of this? Jesus, if it's you, I'm coming. Is that okay? And then you have to actually get out of the boat. Can you Some of you know that many, many years ago, I did a skydiving exercise. Worst thing I've ever agreed to in my life. The mechanics of it is frightening because there's a big bloke behind you. But you have to sit on the, out, on the door of the plane that's open, knowing that in a minute, he's going to push you out. If you ever get this in desire to do it, just don't. It's awful. And then they spin you around and you throw your guts up and you've got to pretend it was good fun. It's awful. The mechanics of getting out of a boat in a storm. Why, Peter? Why do you want to get out? And the only thing I can come up with, and I don't know if it's true, but the only thing I can come up with is, Jesus, if you're there, I'd rather come and stand with you in the storm on the water than stay with these 11 in the boat. I'd rather stand with you. Can I come and stand with you? And Jesus said, yes. Can you imagine the other 11? Thomas, this is not going to end well. (laughs) (laughs) Judas, have we got insurance? (laughs) Andrew, your mum's going to kill you when you get home. (laughs) Can you imagine the other 11 going, he's nuts. But Peter says, I'd rather stand with Jesus in the middle of the storm on the water that looks like completely impossible. I'd rather stand with Jesus than stay safe in the boat. If it's you, Jesus. Can I come? And then the third thing Jesus says is this. When Peter starts to sink, he says, you have little faith, why did you doubt? Now, to be fair, I think Jesus could be a lot kinder at that point. You have little faith. To be fair, Jesus, <laughs> I got out of the boat. There's 11 blocks back here. <laughs> To be fair, you have little faith, Jesus says to Peter. Why did you doubt, Jesus? To be fair, we're walking on water. (laughs) Why did you doubt? It's almost like Jesus said to Peter, Peter, there was so much more. Peter, we had only just begun. Peter, we could have walked much further. We could have overtaken them and got home before them. Peter, you didn't need to sink. And yet, when Peter did doubt, Jesus hauled him out. And got onto the boat. He didn't leave Peter just spluttering in the sea. He hauled him out. Rescued him. Because Jesus is actually very kind to those of us who doubt. But to those of us who doubt. There are some times where Jesus would want to say there's more. You could have walked much further. So I'm kind of just Left. I'm want to leave you. What do you need to hear Jesus say to you? Three short statements. What do you need to hear Jesus say to you this morning? Is it the first? Because some of you inevitably today because it's all of us sometime, but today, some of you tormented by the ghosts at 3.30. Is it the first? Or is it the second? Come. Jesus, if, if, if you're in this, I want to I wanna be with you. Can I come? And Jesus says, yeah, come, come to me. Or is it the third? Those of us who waver, you have little faith. There were so many more miles to walk together. Why did you doubt? Why did you give up? I wonder what you need to hear Jesus say. Why don't we just take a minute or two just to ask that question? To you that are in the everyday place of frustration, what do you need Jesus to say to you? If uh, the musicians will come back for a moment. Just start to just start to play for a minute or two. Father God, we're not Peter, we're not fishermen, and we're not in a physical storm. But Lord, we all have been at different times, and some of us are there today. Lord, may we hear your voice, penetrate our heart. Lord, to those of us who are frightened, may we hear your voice that says, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. And may that be like a banner over all of our fears. All the things that we regret, all the things we're frightened of, all the things that we wish hadn't happened, all the things that we're frightened might happen. Lord, may we hear that banner, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. Lord, to those of us who might this morning be wondering what you have for us and what our life could be and what we could become, we want to say, Jesus, if it's you, then can we come and stand with you? We know what we've been. We know what we've been good at. We know what we've done in the past. But, Lord, if there's new things, then please, can we say, Jesus, if it's you, then call us to come to you. And we would say that together as a whole church, Lord. We know what we've been. We know where we're strong. But Lord, for all that's new, if it's you, can we come and stand with you, Jesus? And Lord, to those of us who are sort of double-minded and in two minds about much, Lord, may we hear your voice saying, why did you doubt? Lord, there's so many more miles to walk with you. Lord, may our hearts be open to you and may our faith be fixed.